Hello, my name is Mike Grain, and I'm extremely excited to talk to Tim Costello. Uh, known Tim for a long, long time. He spent over uh, 12 years with Walmart in store operations in various stores in the Northwest Arkansas and Oklahoma area. So he has a lot of experience up to and including the store manager. Uh, he then left uh, Walmart and spent a couple of years at Amazon working on their warehouse operations. And now he has left them to go to a company called UST Global, where he is working on automated store technology. Can't think of anybody better to talk about store operations and the technology to support that than my good friend, Tim. Welcome, Tim. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Appreciate that fine introduction. And as a way of remembrance, um, my Walmart retail career or my whole retail career began when I was 49 years old. We but had, you, uh, but just, you look for, but you look 49 now, Tim. So am, how, does that, how, does that, it, how does that work? <laughs> you don't age when you work for Walmart and Amazon. <laughs> they, they don't allow it. It's not part of the SOP. So, so the Walmart experience and then the Amazon experience and now your UST global actually started, you started that path when you were 49. Well, what'd you do before you were 49? So before I was 49, out of high school, I spent 12 years in the Navy, poking holes in the submarines uh, out there in the world. And mm. I was a missile technician working on the Poseidon and Trident uh, uh, submarines and missiles. After that, I got out. I sort of dove into a sales.com career because .com was coming along. And uh, I grew that for a whole bunch of stuff. So I carried a bag and sold a lot of third-party services down into the .commerce throughout San Jose and everywhere on the West Coast living in Salt Lake City at that time. After that, I found that I was a decent operational mind and started consulting a number of years. And then that con consultation grew into business structuring and asset protection. And not the kind of asset protection that Walmart does, but multimillionaires who are looking to structure their assets so nobody can file a lawsuit against them in a court of law. So it, it makes it hard to get to their assets. So we did that for a while. And then I retired. And then we moved to Bentonville, Arkansas for Carrie, my wife, to get her career going after raising the kids. And I was literally, you know, became a master gardener in Benton County and uh, just hung around, did a bunch, or was it Davis County? I can't remember what county was there now. Um, but uh, beyond that, I got bored. So I applied to Walmart and I couldn't get in the home office for about a year. And I didn't want to work for everyone else because I didn't have a Fortune 5 company on my resume. So I said, I'm going to go work for Walmart. Finally, Carrie wakes up one day and says, hey, just go work in a store. And I said, me? Work in a store? What would I do? I don't know anything about that. Literally, other than a shopper, I knew nothing about retail. Well, I, I you know, did what she said, applied. The next day, 2741 there across from NWAC gave me a call, wanted me to be an overnight stalker. And I asked the, the personnel person, isn't that illegal? And she didn't get it. So I said, yep, I'll be over. So <laughs> a very fine friend named Matt Harrell gave me my first interview. I think he's a market manager somewhere up in Missouri now. A fine fellow. And I began my Walmart career as an overnight stalker at 2741. Did you have to spell stalker to make sure that they were clear which one you meant? No, sir. There was no test after my joke. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. Well, first and foremost, I had no idea about your Navy career. Thank you so much for your service. I don't think we well, say that enough for, for all the people who are silver and 
making the ability for us to be able to, to live safe lives, et cetera. We take some of that stuff for granted. But number two, you had a you did have an interesting career before Walmart, but I do know you spent a number of years in store operations, and I really want to get your perspective on. You've worked for a couple of really big retailers, one being Walmart and one being Amazon, different roles, obviously. But now you're working on kind of future technology for stores itself. Uh, so I want to start off with first and foremost, you know, based on your previous experience. The first question we ask people is we are always involved, interested in retail, but I'm interested in any perspective you have of times you, not as a store person, but as a customer, have been disappointed by a retailer. You thought you were going to get something and you end up not getting it. You got any stories? Because I think these stories help the, help the store operations and, and retail understand the pain that's created from a customer who gets disappointed. Any 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 stories like that? Too often, Mike. Too often. <laughs> Every single one of us have gone to the store and we want to put together something, either it's a dinner, a picnic, a celebration, whatever it is. And we are we have found ourselves frustrated because we were going to go to this store, get everything we needed and be done. Right. One hour trip. You're all good to go. And you could go plan and do the rest. But then you end up spending two or three more hours that particular day or the next day wandering around trying to find the things that you wanted to find at that one store or there's been bad enough routines where i just left the basket set mm. and i just went to the next store right so now that store has lost my whole sale not part of it because i just didn't i didn't have time to go too many visits so yes it's tr extremely frustrating to get into a store expect normal items to be there i'm not talking about you know unicorns i'm talking about things you'd normally buy and when they're not there it's extremely frustrating so, so you spent enough years in stores, working stores. As a customer, when I come in and I'm looking for the five items for my barbecue or whatever I'm going to go, and you don't have two of them, I get frustrated, obviously. But I'd like to know from a customer perspective, why? Why, why is it so hard to keep items in available for a customer to purchase? It is a ongoing battle to maintain the process in a retail store. If the store manager is not checking on that process every single step of the way, which means that store manager now needs to know every part of the process. They're not going to be as good at doing that process as their associates because their associates become masters of that product and they know the synergy of how that all works. But you're going to know all the checkpoints along the way as to what you should see when that process is done well, right? So you rely upon your associates. So one, you got to teach, you got to train them and you've got to keep them going in that process or you will be out of stock. And if you're out of stock, like Sam Walton said, you know why that shelf is empty? And everybody looks quizzically at him. Well, I don't know, because well, the customer bought it all. Now what do you do? <laughs> and they get all the shoulder shrugs. I don't know, order some more. Yeah. Right. Fill it exactly. up now. That was the old Kanban system to keep that filled yep. Yep. so that the customer doesn't have to look at an empty shelf. Yep. The supply chain is so complicated is, again, if you put your store manager hat on running a brick and mortar store, let's say you got several hundred thousand items that are in a store and the products are not in the store. What are some of the challenges? You, you mentioned training is one, but one of the other ones that I know that we've talked about a lot 
is perpetual inventory accuracy, which is it says I have five, but I don't have any, and therefore I don't sell any, I don't order any. That may be one of the op- opportunities. Is there others that you can think of that 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 the product is is physically not in the building? So we, Walmart and many others, Amazon, etc. They're all very focused on that last mile delivery, mm-hmm. right? How do I get it from my distribution center, my fulfillment center, or my store to the customer? You know, the customer is going to come pick it up. And all those are fine thoughts. And, and our friends at Walmart are doing a great job. I know some of them, right? But the reality is that next to last mile delivery, because that's how you're going to fulfill the last mile delivery with all the items the customers are ordering. I can tell you, I've ordered online sometimes and I've done them all. Instacart, Walmart, Target, the whole bit, right? Every single one of them shorts me a product every single time mm. I order. Interesting. Interesting. And if I'm doing a roast and they short me a roast, what else was everything good for? Right. Right. So, right. so that next to last mile delivery is, I'll paraphrase it because I think nobody else is talking about that, but it's in stock, right? right? Oscar scores, Walmart cars, everybody else calls it in stock, whatever you want to call the process to keep that shelf full so that your online grocery pickers can pick it, your customers can choose it, et cetera, is crucial. Absolutely crucial. And that will never change in retail. It will always be keeping the shelves full. But I think one of the competitive advantages, at least from my perspective and people that I've talked to, is I can't remember a time where I ordered something from from a pure play online fulfillment retail like as Amazon and I got it I got it out of stock. Doesn't happen. You it know doesn't why? happen. You know why? Why? Because it doesn't matter what you order, that product is in stock somewhere. Yep. And 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 my time at Amazon, I'm telling you, I have never seen a more complex customer delivery model than they employ. Mm. Literally, you could order five items and let's just say that your fulfillment center happens to be OKC one, the one that I ran, right? And you only three of the items are in that fulfillment center. The system knows it the minute you place buy, hmm. right? So now it immediately employs a mechanism that's going to go find it wherever it is, get it picked at that facility, dropped into a tote, that tote go to a special truck called reactive, right? And that reactive freight moves within a couple of hours to the next fulfillment center like dfw to okc1 or ftw6 to okc1 or toll 2 to you know whatever they're moving that in there and as an operations manager at okc1 i had five hours when that truck arrived to get that item stowed into a bin right so that's priority freight we get that stowed in it's customer orders right yeah once that's stowed in the system now says oh all your five items are now here put them together pick them send them downstairs, put them in a package, send them out on the truck to one of the delivery centers, and then boom, all of a sudden you get it. And to you and me, it's like magic. Yep. But you can't imagine the physical effort going on behind the scene for Mm -hmm. hundreds of millions of products every single day. I would get six or seven reactive trucks into my, my center every single day. Wow. Wow. Well, here's the other big interesting thing is we don't have these things called customers coming in and stealing product and associates stealing product and third parties coming in here and moving product. You don't have that as an Amazon warehouse, right? So you've got a much better controlled environment. So a retailer like Walmart 
How do they win in that environment against Amazon? Because they are winning and they're doing very well because they have these 4,600 locations that are within 10 miles of a store. How do you compete against an Amazon model when you're a retailer like Walmart? So that's a very interesting question. I just happened to be on LinkedIn this morning and my distant friend, Carissa Sprague, who now is the SVP over their e-commerce delivery, I see her taking photos in a distribution fulfillment center and it looks just like the Amazon ones, yellow guardrails, concrete shelves, the whole bit, right? That's how you compete. Walmart didn't, didn't sleep, right? I remember Doug McMillan five years ago at a conference for all the store managers, right? Store manager meeting. I forget whether it was year beginning or holiday meeting, can't, don't know which one it was, but he sort of portrayed the graph of retailers that don't make that jump. Yeah. Right. And he intimated that, you know, Walmart could you know, be one of those retailers that doesn't make that jump. But of course, he has seen two with lots of smart, talented people to create this exact same thing. So as they're tying this together, as Walmart builds their marketplace, Walmart is very well positioning themselves to just run around alongside. Because quite frankly, I believe Amazon has peaked. Hmm. I believe they are, they're going to build a few fulfillment centers but they're done building 65 a year, right? right. We're running out right. of cities. They might expand around the world somewhere, but here in the U.S., they're pretty peaked. And they're going to build a new one to move new technology into it, but they're going to abandon the old ones or use them for some other purpose. And Walmart's ramping right up. But Walmart has, you know, 5,000 stores. And when Greg Fran was in my store one day, he asked me a question. What do you think, Tim? I said, you know what, Greg? I think you ought to take about two-thirds of a super center, right? Shrink it down to about 60 something thousand square feet, put the most moving brick and mortar SKUs in that area and use all the rest for a fulfillment center. Because mm, mm. now you've got, you know, 3,500 fulfillment centers around the country that yeah. you can now fulfill out. And some of that's come true. They, you know, Salem, New Hampshire, they retrofitted a place. Yep. They're yep. doing the drone delivery out of my old store and a couple yep. of others. Yep. So they are trying everything. And like Greg Francis, I don't care if you fail, just try. Right. Just right. give it a shot, yeah. right? See if it works, because it might work. It might work. It and true work. leaders ne are never afraid of failing. Right. It's just one more way that didn't work. Keep on going. That's right. That's right. Well, I I, I am going to put my money on Walmart for sure. And it's not because I've spent 40 years working with them. But here's the reality. I can now get on my computer, order everything I need, and within two hours, it's sitting on my doorstep. I don't know that Amazon's ever going to be able to compete with that. So I like their chances, but there's a lot of process stuff that has to happen. So let's switch gears a little bit. I mean, yep. I couldn't think if I was UST, I couldn't think of a better person than you who have had all this experience running store operations at Walmart and then with Amazon to say, Tim, blank piece of paper. What is the retail tech going to look like to support what we need to do for our customers? Walk us through some of the cool stuff that's going on at UST and, and uh, what, what do you think is the, the top of the list for some of these retailers to consider? Excellent. So number one is frictionless commerce. That's what it's mm. called now, right? Don't make your customer work too hard for them to give you money. When I ran my store, I literally pictured people walking into my store with fistfuls of money, daring me to trade them. Right. <laughs> you got what I want. I'm going to give you some money. 99% of them. the 1% we'll talk about later. But those things are never going to change. 
right? Brick and mortar is not going away. In fact, you'll find Amazon's moving towards brick and mortar. So sure. we're trying to figure out how to make brick and mortar better, right? So it, it's down to shrinking to the, the most number of SKUs that moves. You know, the neighborhood market does that well. They could use some GM enhancements to get some stuff in there, but they're doing really well with that. So so let me, let me stop you real quick, because I hear people go, oh, with e-commerce, everything's going to deliver to your house. You never even have to go into a brick-and-mortar store. You obviously think that's not going to happen. Brick-and-mortar is not going away. Okay. It is. I mean, I may not live long enough to see my prediction come true, you know, but 50 <laughs> years from now, brick-and-mortar is still going to be here. Yep. Brick-and-mortar has never changed from the general store, right? Now, back in the general store, Everything was behind the counter, so he his shrink was really good, right? Right, right. He had everything accounted for, and he gave you and charged you. Um, but now we have very open stores, and we're trying different mechanisms to keep most of the merchandise in the store until it's paid for and account for all the inventory that's coming into the store mm -hmm. so we can get it stocked, right? So keep your, keep your nest together. So that brick and mortar is never going to go away, right? That, that's just going to stay. And I threw some notes out here that um, – with brick and mortar, there now has to be a way to take care of it. So when they converted my store to 100% self-checkout on the front end, some of the complaints from the customers were, where's my W-2 for bagging my own groceries? <laughs> yes. Right? And, and after a while, I thought of a good response that was sort of funny and sort of, you know, eased the tension a bit. And that was, did you stop driving because you had to pump your own gas? Right. <laughs> That's good. It worked on a few, not all of them, right? But they were more concerned about the cashiers. Mm. Where's my cashier? Where's the mm. one that took care of me all the time? And there's still some that I'm friend on Facebook with that were in my store, right? And they're wonderful people. They show up to work. They take care of the customers. They didn't go away. What they did in my store was take all of those hours and shift them into that e-commerce world, right? So they made it run more efficiently. Yes, the customer can now check themselves out. In fact, Walmart has done such a great job of reducing the cash registers on the front end to all these self-checkouts that now they don't have enough self-checks. Yeah, that's true. They literally. That's now, true. now you're in line at the self-check, right? So if you use their scan and go and you're running around the store scanning, now you have to wait in line at a self-check to get up there to bag your groceries, check out and that kind of stuff. True. They'll figure that out. But yep. now they have lines at self-check. Could you imagine? Yeah. It's amazing. So... Brick and mortar is not going away. So with frictionless commerce, the idea is twofold. One is, how do I keep my inventory in the building till it's paid for? How do I detect when it's picked up? How do I properly put that into a virtual basket, right? And how do I assign that virtual basket to someone I know and who's going to pay for it? So in some of the smaller stores I'm working on, there's a turnstile that lets you in the store, right? And you scan your QR code, the door is open. We know who you are. We're tracking you with cameras and sensors. And then they're doing 3D modeling to know where your arm is up and down from the shelves. And then the shelves are scaled so that it knows what you pick up. And it puts that in your virtual basket. Hmm. When you're done shopping, you go to the turnstile, you walk out, it opens. Within eight or 10 seconds, you get a receipt. What if I change my mind? I pick something up and I look at it and I decide I don't want it and I put it back. You can put it down anywhere in the store. Whoa. Because of the scaled shelves, it knows what was in your basket, how much it weighed. And when you pull that out of your physical basket and place it on a shelf somewhere in the store, a couple of things happen. One, 
the store manager app gets a notification that has a misplaced item. And at Walmart, that might be like the Keystone cops running around trying to put the store back together, right? Yeah. But it doesn't sit there long because you know it's there and you got to clear the alarm. The second thing is it knows what it weighs. So unless they put it on the floor, right, which it doesn't have a scale, as long as they put it on a shelf that's scaled, it knows where it goes. Now, there is some technology, a little bit in its early advancement, where we don't need any scaled shelves and we can detect and see items with all these cameras. It takes a tremendous amount of computing power, as you might imagine, yeah. and that's being developed. But we're deploying it here and there to try it out and check it, right? The whole idea is have your customers walk in, tell you who they are, shop whatever they want, and then leave. And then you get a receipt. So, so obviously for the folks who are listening to this podcast, they have seen the Amazon Go commercials, where they call it just walk out technology. Yes. I'm assuming that's, that's what you're referring to. That is part of the technology. Okay. Um, in fact, I visited that store in Bellevue, Washington, in the Factoria Square, and I spent four hours in that store one afternoon hmm. to check out all the technology. I wanted to know everything that was going on. I talked to the associates. How do they stock? The service counters is the cool technology because they're slicing meat and all that cheese and stuff. And then when they hand right before they hand it to you, they scan it with a barcode scanner because it's got just a typical label. And then they hand it to the customer. The systems pick up who that customer is, huh. right? And yeah. then they go about their business. Now, they've got two types of customers in that store, which is really cool. They have a traditional shopper, and then they have a just walk out shopper. So if you want to traditionally shop, all the events that you're creating in that store by lifting items and all that kind of stuff are tracked, but not attributed to a basket, right? When you get to the cashier, you do the normal cashier thing, they bag it up and out you go. Hmm. But if you're a just walk out customer, you do all your picking and grabbing, and then you get to the front of the store and there's a turnstile. You scan your QR code or palm or whatever you've got, and then it opens and it starts generating your receipt. Now, Amazon does have humans in the loop. Yep. So nothing's leaving the store. They're going to make sure the the because it's so technology technologically uh, beginning that they're trying to make sure the receipt is accurate because an accurate receipt is the ultimate gift to the customer, right? And yep. to you. Yep. So they've got humans in the loop. So you might not get your receipt for two or three hours. Right. But when you get it, hopefully it's correct. Well, I've done that in the Seattle store, and I was oh. a little bit surprised when I walked out. It probably took not two hours. It probably took 45 minutes before I finally got a receipt and an actual debit from my, my account. I was like, what? Wonder what it took so long? I should have done it right away. Found out later they were doing an audit process to make sure that that was in fact correct. Because I'm assuming the world's worst thing is somebody who didn't buy something and gets charged for it and then the PR that goes with that, right? Or gets charged for three of them. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. So, so where do you where do you see this going? So clearly, seamless technology because the front end is probably the number one. I mean, if, well, it's probably a lot of things: dirty parking lots, dirty bathrooms, you know, product that's out of stock. But I hear more people than anything waiting in line to check out. Either self checkout today, or main checkout is the most frustration. Your technology sounds like it's game changing. Why isn't it everywhere? It's expensive. Mm, okay. Right. It's not cheap per square foot. Right. Um, the most of the stores we're doing are sub fifteen hundred square feet. Okay. Because they're sort of the bleeding edge. They're the early adopters. We're working all the bugs out there and all the features and trying to make it work seamlessly. Because frictionless right. can't create more friction 
Correct. And call it, and be called frictionless, right? right so correct. you got to take care of the customer. To do something like a Walmart store, it'll have to be an over-sealing retrofit more than every scale on a shelf type of thing. Correct. Because it would be so tremendously expensive. Hmm. And then you get to items, clothing, right? Clothing hangs on a hanger. Now you got to have some kind of scaled hanger. RFID helps there a lot, right? Correct. Do you segment up your store? Do you divide it into chunks and make people check out three times? Again, that's not frictionless. So all of us are trying to figure out exactly how that does. Now, UST is a systems integrator. Okay. So we bring all the different hardware together and we write the back end to make it all sing. Hmm. Right. So that that's our function. We build it and we make it work all together. Right. Interesting. So, so it, it's an expense type of thing. You remember when you were in my store in there and putting the ESLs in, yep. that was a huge expense just to put the electronic shelf labels all around a neighborhood market. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they're even still there because I've been gone from that store for three years, but you know, don't know. Well, I can tell you, I can tell you, I think there was a brief pause, but I think if you would go to the store 4108 in Elm Springs, Arkansas, the new Walmart kind of future store, which includes a yeah. lot of things, which right, you're going to see electronic shelf labels in that entire super center. So I think they're, they're coming back to that because it makes sense. It just eliminates one more task for associate to do a bunch of price changes and things like that. No, so, nobody. <laughs> Nobody like doing price changes. Nobody liked doing Nobody. price changes. Um, so, so let me ask you a question. Let's talk about UST a little bit. And I wasn't wasn't planning on going here, but I think you opened up a door for something because I'm a firm believer, if you're going to be in retail these days, especially in a brick and mortar environment, you have to know two things. You have to know what you have, and you need to know where it's located all the time. If you really want to participate at that level. Unfortunately, as we talk to many different technology suppliers, somebody goes, well, I've got the answer. It's RFID. Not for everything. It's not. I've got the answer. It's a robot with a scanner. Not for everybody. It's not. I've got the opportunity, which is a fixed camera over, you know, dairy. Not for everybody. It's not. Oh, I've got an op. I mean, algorithms. There's all these other things. So where does the future, and, and, and I, well, you and I didn't talk about this question before, but the future is multiple sensors based upon the category type, which allow you to know what you have and where it's located for both on-shelf availability purposes, but also from a seamless checkout. If I've taken one, you can tie it to me. I think that's possible. I don't think it's possible tomorrow, but I think it's possible to figure out how that seamless checkout experience. You does UST play a role to integrate that kind of stuff together? We do. Okay. In fact, I was just on a conference call the other day with a company who I won't mention yet, um, but they have something that goes on a shelf that will tell you your in-stock level. Hmm. So it's measuring the can. A can of vegetables only weighs so much, right? Right. And, and if you've got an average. And then you've got a bunch of these on the shelf sitting on that particular mat. Now it tells you you have 12 of that thing. Excellent. Because usually it's either binary. It's either I have it or I don't have it, which is helpful. But it's not real helpful because by the time you know you don't have it, you've got an out of stock, right? That's correct. Okay. Or somebody else put something on that mat in the wrong spot. Hmm. So you should get an alert. Hey, this thing weighs 79 grams instead of 65 grams. Right. Gotcha. might be the wrong product. You could run around the store and fix those type of errors. But on shelf availability 
is the number one focus for many retailers worldwide that I visit. No matter what the technology is, no matter what it is, on-shelf availability is it. In fact, we talked to one and they said if they could simply get on the shelf what they've got through distribution, you know, and get it to the store and get it on the shelf, their sales, top line revenue would increase five points. Wow. Into the size of this retailer, that is billions of dollars. Wow. That's huge. So, I mean, Walmart's the same, right? When I was at Walmart, if if I go visit this Walmart over here in, in Georgia where I'm sitting, and I won't say where I'm at, right? But but I can tell you I can walk around that store and if you give me about eight weeks in that store, I'll increase the sales in that store three points. Mm-hmm just by getting in stock. And you know, sometimes it's just zeroing out something that you think you have that you don't have. Exactly. Revenue well, is all that matters. So what's get it full. What, what's interesting, Tim, is that's what this podcast is all about. The, the only thing that we wanna talk about is this concept of on-shelf availability. And first off, it's not something that you can measure very easily because the way you measure on-shelf availability for a high volume thing, maybe an algorithm like Asuka, for apparel, that doesn't work because I may sell one pair of jeans every two weeks. I can't tell if it's on, not on shelf. And and frankly, they all look like the same size and color combination. So I think it's going to be multiple different sensors, algorithms, fixed cameras, robotic cameras, RFID, all working together. But somebody's got to figure out how to put all that together to really say, what do I have and where is it located? Because to your point, on-shelf availability is not an option anymore for customers because here's the deal if i go to a walmart and they don't have it i'm pulling out my phone i'm using walmart wi-fi to order it from amazon you congratulations know. you just had me switch over to amazon and then you it what makes it worse is you used your wi-fi to order it from them right <laughs> which is really no, bad no, it, it is is a double-edged sword you know you're it providing is. things for the customers so you got to be in stock that's what everybody is talking about worldwide all the time that's right. Well, this has been fascinating. Tim, here's the one final question for you. What have I not asked that I should have? What's burning in your mind that, yeah, boy, I sure wish you would have asked this question because I think that would be really helpful to hear. What do you think the future looks like? So no matter what we do, and I was actually on LinkedIn reading a couple of Sam Walton letters that somebody had posted up that he wrote in 1980 about taking care of the associates right? Mm -hmm. Who take care of your customers. He, he never said a bad word when he said, our associates make the difference. And that's an associate anywhere, right? right? If you're in retail and you're an associate, you are the frontline soldier with that, with that customer. As a store manager and a leader, the only thing that I would love to tell other store managers and leaders is how to empower your people. Mm, and awesome. Walmart gives you a number of these, right? Number one is a tool. Right. We call it a TC70. We call it an RFID scan or whatever. And then along with that tool, you have a process. Right. So now I got a tool. I got a process to use that tool. Could be a number of processes. And then you give that associate a strategic vision of why that process is used with that tool and what the ultimate goal is. All of a sudden now they are empowered hmm. to make decisions. Mm. that you don't have to make. They're empowered to take care of your customer. So all you need to do as a store manager after a couple of years, once everybody's perfect in your store, which never happens, 
um, is kiss babies and shake hands. <laughs> right? That's the ultimate goal of a store manager to yeah. have nothing to do. Yeah. Because the associates are that awesome. So brick and mortar is not going away. Yep. Retail associates are not going away. Stocking associates, distribution associates, they're not going away. Hmm. Tremendous. Take care of them. Take Tremendous. Care of them. And let me just throw out one more compliment to you because you and I worked together at one of your uh, the neighborhood market store when we were doing an electronic shelf label process. I specifically heard you more than more than a number of times teach, coach, ask questions, and one of the things you always asked is, "What does help look like? How can I help you? What can I do for you?" And little did I know that two minutes later you're driving around in a floor cleaner now why is a store manager cleaning the floor that's somebody else's job no you decided that was one thing that you could do and somebody said that could be, look like help you're driving around a floor cleaner so you embodied servant leadership when you ran stores you ran really really good stores they were uh, every time i was at the home office they said you ought to go over and check out tim's store because he's really on it he knows exactly oh, what's going on very kind very kind. It, it is, it, it, and I'm not telling you that just because we're on the podcast, but you were always very well thought of in the home office. You know, if you want to go to a store and really figure out what's going on, go to Tim's store. And it was, it was you didn't have the biggest store, and the biggest volume, and the most number of customers, or et cetera, but you had a store that people trusted you were running the process and treating your people with respect and kindness. And I think that's what it really matters. So, Tim, I appreciate your time so much. We'd love to have you back on a future podcast because the future of technology, to your point, is going to be how do you make that more of a seamless experience and how do you make sure that all the products that a customer wants when they come in are there and available for them so you don't disappoint them. And I think you're spot on with the work you're doing at UST. It's a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And it's the reason I work at UST because it's bleeding edge. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Safe travels, my friend, and I appreciate all your time. Thank you, Mike. Always a pleasure. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.